0: There are lots of lousy businesses, and there's lots of wonderful businesses.
1: It's the art and science of money. My job has been to try and figure out which is which. It's Hi-Fi Radio from the Global News Radio Studios in Toronto. With Hi-Fi Portfolio Managers, here's Wolfgang Klein and Jack Hartle.
2: Good morning to you all. Thank you for tuning in to a show about money. It's Hi-Fi Radio. I'm Wolfgang Klein, your host, uh, my wingman, Jack Hartle In studio, Uh, we got an amazing show lined up for you. Something for everyone, a potpourri of uh, business. Uh, wisdom, shall I say. Uh, In a low interest rate environment, how do retirees uh, eke out return? Uh, Doug Greed, portfolio manager with Slater Asset Management from Lysanders Funds, does an amazing job uh, running what's called preferred shares. Boring stuff that requires a whole lot of intelligence. Uh, We're then going to be followed up with uh, Mark Noble. Uh, He's a sales and strategy at Horizons ETF. Are you worried about your kids being put out of a out of a job uh, due to artificial intelligence and uh, the world of technology. Uh, Mark's gonna talk about destructive technology, robotics, automation, artificial intelligence, it's big thinking it's it, it, it's moving uh, and it's relevant uh, It's going to affect all of us over the next ten to twenty years, so uh, that's going to be a great interview. and we're going to end it with a talk about pets uh, Dr. Clifford Redford, uh, veterinarian at the Wellington Veterinarian Hospital, is going to speak to us as to uh, well, how much money we spend on pets, and we spend an awful lot of money on pets. so Jack and I, of course are here to make sure you don't outlive your money. Be careful those pets can be very expensive, but there's a love to pets that uh well. You just can't describe and it's important to people so let's talk about how much we spend on our pets but if you want to make some money well uh, stocks are a great place to be but everyone should have another asset class in their portfolio or most people should uh, to some degree anyways and that's fixed income otherwise known as bonds otherwise known as debt securities you know gic's mortgages treasury bills corporate bonds these are all pieces of fixed income and there's another uh, hybrid asset, and it's called a preferred share. It truly is equity, but treated as fixed income. Um, and uh, Doug Grieve is a portfolio manager with Slater Asset Management, uh, Lysander's Fund. Jack and I own his fund uh, as a sleeve for our balanced and conservative strategies, fixed income income mandate. Lysander is a very, very good uh, 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 fixed income asset manager, and uh, part of their uh, offering is a preferred share fund uh, called the Lysander Slater Preferred Share uh, Dividend Fund. Uh, so thank you very kindly for coming on the show, Doug. I much appreciate you entertaining us on the topic of preferred shares. Thanks. Thanks for having me. You know, I have to say, and I'm sorry, because i I got to try to liven up the show because I want to keep people <laughs> listening. But look, this is very, very important stuff uh, because stocks are risky. They're the riskiest asset class, really, that Jack and I deal with. We deal with cash, we deal with bonds, and we deal with stocks. And stocks definitely are the riskiest asset class. And to mitigate risk, you should layer in some fixed income. And again, uh Rules are meant to be broken in a real low interest rate environment, one that is now seeing rate of change or uh, no longer a decrease in interest rate, but an increase in interest rates. Bonds are no longer as safe as they once were. They are now faced with what's called interest rate risk. And as interest rates go up, bonds go down. Uh, preferred shares are, are, are a little different. And there's a lot of different flavors of preferred shares out there. Um So let's talk briefly about the instrument of a preferred share, what it is, um, and why it's a good alternative to a bond. And, uh, well, show some enthusiasm. Yeah, yeah. No, it's
3: (laughs) – I mean, it's a great – it's a great point. I, I think uh, you know the, the key thing here is that you mentioned equities are, are, are risky, and you, you know if you're a little bit older and you, you want you need the income, but you want to preserve capital. You don't really need a growth of your portfolio, but you 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 want to protect it and generate some income maybe to live off. Preferred shares play that role, so they're they're a fixed fixed income alternative. But you know we like to to group them in with fixed income, and uh, you know for that reason. If you can, if you, if you want some income, you want to preserve capital, take some volatility out of the market, um, you know, a sleeve of preferred shares, you know, sort of matches that, you well, know, okay. Wolfgang
0: up. mentioned the fact that we're in a low interest rate environment. The, the U S 10 year can't get through 3%. So we're very low interest rate in historic standards, but we're rates are rising. Uh, we're in a, uh, you know, an environment of rising interest rates, you know, how does the, the preferred share market fit into that, uh, environment and where do you see opportunity?
3: Yeah, it's it's a great question. You know, so the first thing I'll say is is preferred shares today, even though we're in a low interest rate environment, preferred shares offer yields in the neighborhood of four four to six percent. So which that's is a, pretty good in a in this you world
2: know, two and a half three percent GIC environment. That's almost double, and plus there's a tax efficiency to that dividend. Correct.
3: That's right. It's it's dividend income as opposed to interest income. So you know the tax treatment of that is beneficial. So from an a- after-tax perspective, you know the gap he could argue is even wider. So it's it's a good fixed income alternative today because you get, you know, more spread, more yield. And what I'll add to to that just to relate to what you said, Jack, is is preferred shares there's a what's called a fixed reset preferred share, which just means that every 5 years you get a you you get a new coupon relative to your interest rate environment. So if it, as interest rates rise, you know, quite simply, you'll get a bigger coupon as you go. So it actually is pretty defensive and, and actually can do well in a rising interest rate environment.
2: We're in studio with uh, Doug Grieve. He's portfolio manager with Slater Asset Management. Uh, so Doug spe- uh, specializes in managing a preferred share um, mutual fund. Um, the, the fees is, is very, very attractive. Uh, the work is, is is second to none. And, and I will say preferred shares are, are very unique instruments and I, I've seen a lot of people mispurchase purchase them, I shall say. Um, they, they they chase them, they buy them at the wrong time, i.e. often as a new issue at $25, uh, only to see more supply come to market. Uh, and then you, you see some interest rate fear, and all of a sudden this $25 piece of paper is trading $15, and uh, you're not feeling very happy as an investor. So I'm going to talk a little bit more about just that, but we're going to pay some Bill's around here at Hi-Fi Radio, uh, Global News Radio 640 in Toronto, and we will return right after this.
1: Don't go anywhere. There's more great show after this. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from Global News Radio 640 Toronto.
2: Doug, it's not about you, my good friend. Nope, nope, nope. You manage preferred shares. Not for a person of vanity. Maybe Tesla is a vain stock, maybe. Uh, But not preferred shares. I just like the song. And uh, hey, you educated me. You told me it's about uh, Warren Beatty?
3: Well, they say it was written, uh, she wrote it uh, about Warren Beatty, being so vain, I guess.
2: And Warren acted in Shampoo. It's a movie from the 60s, isn't it?
3: 70s. I 70s, think, yeah. yeah.
2: That, that was hilarious. There was like the whole shampoo movement. I remember that. Anyways, well, perhaps, uh, you know, if you uh, saw shampoo, uh, I guess the original filming of it, uh, you're probably in your 60s or 70s. So Doug matters to you, I think, because Doug manages preferred shares and something that retirees tend to look at very seriously as alternatives to government bonds or GICs. Um, but I, I must say the the asset class of a preferred share requires diversity, it requires a lot of know-how and such expertise, and I wouldn't go it alone. In other words, if I had a portfolio of 50 stocks and I want to put in some fixed income, I would not put in two or three preferred uh, uh, shares, unless they're at a deep discount and there's a good reason for it, I really knew the product. I'd rather buy a diverse basket of uh, preferred shares uh, and maybe put a five percent sleeve in on a on a portfolio. So on a million dollar portfolio, maybe I put fifty thousand dollars into a fund like yours. Uh, and so far, Jack and I are very very pleased with your work. Your three year return uh, is over five percent. Um, that's sort of what I want to earn on a piece of fixed income. So uh, good job there, Doug, for, for helping great, us Great, great.
3: Thanks. Yeah, that's really the role they're they're supposed to play. Yeah. Uh, so,
2: so let's talk about type the type of preferreds that you own and the type of preferreds out there, the ones that you would avoid because, again, there are a lot of nuances uh, in this asset class and uh, you buy the wrong preferred structure uh, at the wrong time. And, yeah, you can see your capital go from a $25 piece of paper to $15. We want to avoid that. So how do you help? Jack and I and our clients avoid such pitfalls that we witnessed, for example, in 2015. I
0: say when you you launched the fund, Doug, I think it was 2014, 2015. And, you know, right after that, uh, interest rates went down significantly, which hurt a lot of preferred shares. And that's exactly what Wolfgang's talking about. Some of these uh, individual investment advisors, individuals doing their own preferred shares, um, you know, buyer beware. They didn't realize what they were buying. uh, And those preferred shares came out at $25, went down. I saw some as low as $12 $12 with some of these resets. Uh and that, they thought toxic. they that, well they thought they were buying a piece of safe, fixed income and it wasn't obviously. So um I guess could you talk to us about that period of time and uh, how you navigated it?
3: Yeah, I mean there's there's different types of preferred shares that that are offered for different type of economic environments. Um so uh, you know at that time back in 2015, uh, interest rates were were we we were expecting them to rise, but they actually we went into a, a deflationary environment where interest rates went lower. Yields were really uh, quite low, and and a big part of the preferred share market got hurt by that because they were, uh, you know, I mentioned earlier fixed resets that do well when interest rates rise. Right. Every
2: five years, where the where the uh, coupon that they're going to pay you uh, is based on a government five year, correct? That's and, right. Right, and and they'd reset it every five years. So if we were we were as investors hoping interest rates were going to rise. Well,
0: everyone expected them to expect rise, expect them right? to
2: within an eighteen to twenty four month period, and so that you buy the preferred share then get the rate reset at a higher coupon rate and everyone's happy
0: the or, exact opposite occurred or they potentially get called to a par, right
3: that, that's right they, they can get called away but you're, you're in fact right we we uh, you know the price of oil dropped regulators were cutting rates and that just brought us you know to to Deflect a you know recession. We cut rates instead of raised rates, um, which is you know I, we understand that strategy. But it, it caught everyone off guard. And then the simple uh, matter of the fact is those fixed reset preferred shares were getting new coupons that were much smaller, so therefore less attractive.
2: But now we got rates rising, correct?
3: That's right. So
2: so now. It's hopefully game on for the plan of the uh, the resets, correct?
3: That's right. I mean, last year we did uh, part of the interest, you know, people may not even realize, but interest rates are all, you know, they've moved a little bit up and we actually had a great you know we were over 12 percent last year so you can see where the market recognizes that these coupons are going to grow they they back up some of these preferred shares and and they they really rallied so you know rising interest rate environment fixed income that can be tricky but if you you have an you know actively managed preferred share fund with rising rates you can do really well
2: how many different preferred shares exist in your
3: fund so uh, the universe is about 350, 375 preferred shares. We own about 100.
2: So you have 100 hundred uh, uh, lines in your portfolio. That's That's good, right. good, that's good diversity. Because you got you have Sun Life paper, you have a Canadian Utilities paper, Fairfax, Industrial Alliance, Power Financial. So obviously you have a lot of financials who are issuing preferred shares. Uh, what percent is in financials?
3: Um, I, th- I think we're probably around 75%. <laughs>
2: so, so be careful as well. If you, if you own something like this, uh, again, no... The um, uh, gig sector that it's invested in, for example, this is 70% financials. You may not want to have additional common. Stock banks on your in your portfolio, uh, so be, be aware of that as well. Uh, Doug, a real pleasure having you in. Um, it's tough to kick off the show uh, on a topic of preferred shares, but you certainly added some levity to it, and uh, it's it's an asset class that matters a whole lot. So good job on that. Uh, coming up next, we're going to talk about artificial intelligence and the changing landscape uh, in the workplace due to technology. Right after this. I want money.
1: Let's take a break. But after Wolf and Jack will continue their in-depth discussion about. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from Global News Radio, 640 Toronto.
2: That's a funny song, isn't it? <laughs> just is. Just after just, just the synthesizer and all that good stuff. But it's Hi-Fi Radio, and of course, we try to uh, line up the tunes, the tunes with our guests to make them appropriate. Um, investing in disruption, robotics, automation, and artificial intelligence. Innovation is our capital. Make it yours, says Horizons ETFs. Yes, exchange-traded funds uh, are no longer passive. They're becoming very active and... Um, and factor-based and concept-based, so uh, they've come a long way, baby. Uh, Mark Noble, Senior Vice President, Head of Sales and Strategy at Horizons, uh, ETFs, uh, graciously joining us on Hi-Fi Radio, uh, really to talk about the future. Um, Thank you very much for joining us, Mark. Uh, I was very, very impressed at a luncheon presentation that you hosted, uh, going through your new ETF that you have created uh, at Horizons um i i really don't know where to begin because you spoke for about forty five minutes and my jaw dropped, and I was just uh wide eyed paying a lot of attention um but what not we start with uh industry four point uh the next age of disruption and just go through industry one point oh two point oh three point oh four point 4.0. it's just a wonderful history over yeah here. i mean a
4: lot of people when you're when you're thinking about two hundred years of history you you tend to get lost for just how much happens in that period of course right but what you know when we talk about the beginning of the Industrial Revolution, which is the most seismic economic change in, in human history, um, you know the main catalyst was actually technological disruption. Uh, of course, you know a lot of socioeconomic factors occurred you know, politically, ideas about religion, ideology, but at the, at the core of it was changes in technology. Mm-hmm. And so when we go back to the 1780s, we have this aha change in technology, which is really the idea of mechanization, uh, put forward by steam power mm-hmm. and when you created mechanization it had this moment of disruption where the idea that people could somehow still be on the farm uh, which is 99.9 percent of the global population was something that now could back be challenged then, back, back then, then of yeah. course yeah, and, and probably was until you know the, the, the mid part of the, eight, the 19th century and people started to leave the farms and we started to get what we call specialized labor and we started to get industry a real forming of industry. And we're talking about a hundred year trend here. Mm -hmm. Um, And then we move forward, we go through the, the late 19th century and we get our next really big aha invention, which is electricity. Right. And mm-hmm. we, we take these things for granted. But, you know, just I, I can only imagine what it would be like to actually see the idea that something could autonomously uh, work uh, with no input from human beings. And electricity, of course, just put things into warp speed. We had the railroads in the 1870s, probably the biggest boom-bust cycle in economic history. Mm-hmm. And That put things forward, and that was really another 100-year trend where, you know, electricity made automation possible. Mm -hmm. And then as we get into the mid-20th century, uh, we get into the idea of actually using automation in manufacturing and industry, things like Henry Ford, Taylorism, which transformed, again, our world, right? The idea of the working class, uh, the middle class really comes about the, the fact that we could automate labor. Um, now we're just ending, and we're at the end, actually, about eight years ago, ending the last trend, which a lot of people don't recognize. We've lived through it, but don't recognize it, which was the age of the, uh, ability, the semiconductor, uh, the computer processing power, uh, to keep it simply. And it started around 1969 and ended around 2010. And to keep it simple for people, really what we were doing over the last uh, 40 years was building what we call the digital world. We're building the world of data. And we're building a world apart from us. And, of course, if we look at the companies today that dominate the stock market, you know, it doesn't take much to look at the top holdings in the S&P 500. These are the large technology companies that have built this world that has really transformed the way that we deal with each other on a day-to-day basis. Now,
2: you're speaking about the FANG stocks, aren't you? You're talking yeah. about Facebook. You're Facebook, talking about Amazon, Amazon Netflix, Google. Google. And
4: even before that, Microsoft, AOL. IBM, AOL. Yeah. I mean, Intel. This- Exactly. And this was yep. transformational because we created this digital world and it has changed everything for us, but it's still the digital world, right? We still need to be able to have an online Wi-Fi port and go on there. And every day more data is created today than will be all created in all of human history before us. We are data rich, but what do we do with that digital world? What about everything else in the world? So when people talk about Industry 4.0, we're actually, we've embarked on the next stage of the industrial cycle, which is simply merging the physical with the digital.
2: Mm-hmm. Now, and, and this is where the cloud comes into the equation. This is it?
4: where the cloud comes into the equation. This is where smartphones come into the equation. This is where self-driving cars, smart jackets, tables, artificial intelligence, robotics, your world is being disrupted by Merging this digital with the physical.
2: You know, it's frightening because that uh, who was it you, Courtney, who just told us uh, about your friend who had their credit card scammed uh, or swiped. swipered yeah, <laughs> swiper, no swiping yeah, <laughs> on, on the subway.
1: subway. And someone like had one of those debit cards in his bag and kept walking past people kind of bumping into them. And then she had a fifty dollar fee on her visa that was taken off. So one of those
2: portable um, uh, debit machines or credit machines you see at a restaurant, uh, took on the subway, walking by people's purses, getting close enough to, and they preset in a $50 charge, mm-hmm. go by and that's like a tap, bang, there's a 50 bucks, gone. And imagine having
4: this that's conversation.
3: That's like scary stuff, man. Imagine having this conversation like, I don't like your world. I, mean, I don't like your world. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> you know, <laughs> well, there's <laughs> a lot of
2: exciting things to,
4: to look at in this world. And and when we take it back to the to the investment side of things, you know, really what, what's occurred here is, you know, when you're investing and you're looking at this from an investment standpoint, you know, technology is a very difficult thing to invest in because it's a, it's a high risk, high reward opportunity. There's a lot of losers and there's a lot of winners. And I talk about the early days of the internet, you know, what was the better stock to own in 1997 or 1998? Was it amazon.com or pets.com? right? Yeah, the the yeah. point is, we knew there was something to the internet, but what was happening at that point in time is the companies that would have eventually be able to be what I call the power users of the digital world, the Amazon, the Facebooks, the Googles, they, they, they weren't around. What was being built was the infrastructure. In fact, if you go back to 2000, the largest stock was Cisco Systems. And Microsoft was in its heyday because it had built the software allowing us to power this 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 innovation. So from an investment standpoint, it's really hard to understand where do you invest in in these in this in this cycle? Right, but winners and losers. Winners yeah. and losers yeah. is Mark, substantial. Mark, I love
2: your enthusiasm. I like where you're going with yeah. this. Uh, and we don't have enough time right. for you because you have so right. much great, rich content for Hi-Fi Radio, right. which we want to share with you guys. But you know, what we got to do around here. This is radio. We got to pay some bills. Run a okay. few commercials to sponsors. Soon. Perfect. Well, our sponsors, we like them. Uh, do support our sponsors, please. Uh, Hi-Fi Radio shall return with Mark Noble, uh, st- sales strategy at Horizons ETFs, talking disruption. Right after this. <laughs>
1: (laughs) Listen, we're going to take a break. But when we come back, more money talk. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from Global News Radio, 640 Toronto.
2: Yep. I can only handle so much of that one, but uh, it's appropriate. And it's Hi-Fi Radio, uh, Mark Noble with the Horizon ETF talking disruption. We're talking technology, we're talking artificial intelligence, um Little cyborgs, maybe. I don't know. It's kind of scary. But uh, fear not, my good friends. Fear not. Uh, they feared uh, when the, what is it, the agrarian society ended that people exactly. would be out of a job. And I can't believe it was 99% of the world's population actually worked on a farm back in yeah, the seventeen eighteen hundreds. 1800s. incredible. Unbelievable. But let's talk about technology uh, specifically because at your presentation, you you, you you left us with some very good ideas. And so those ideas stem from four factors of technology that you believe are really the most revolutionary aspect of technology. So it starts with sensors, and that's all about automation and, and, and driverless cars. It talks about actuation, uh, and we talked a little bit about that, robotics, limbs. There's The ability to process computing power and, of course, Moore's Law, very, very relevant to uh, computing power. It's now all about GPUs, graphic processing units, and that's what NVIDIA is a leader in, a stock that Jack and I are flirting with. We don't know any yet. And then, of course, integration, computing it all uh, into, I guess, uh, useful bits of information. So uh, let's talk about this investment thesis. How How do you play it? What, what, what type of companies are you putting in to your new ETF?
4: Right, well, so I, before the break, I mentioned the idea of, of the infrastructure of building these technological change, right? So you talk from the builders to the users. And right now we're in the building phase of Industry 4.0. And it's built around four ideas. And let's keep it simple for everybody uh, listening, is that if we're going to integrate the digital with the physical, we need to be able to create the physical with a digital manifestation of, of, of data. And so sensors are obviously a really big one. If you're going to see, hear, and interact with things, you need sensors. So all robotics and automation require sensors. And there's some key sensor companies Primarily like companies like chaos for example, in Japan. And this is all they do. And it sounds simple and boring. But really, if I want my robotics or AI-powered systems. Or cars they are to care, drive properly. Cars, that- exactly, which I was just getting right into. Is these need sensors. Um, actuation, we're talking the arms and legs. You know, if you're in e-commerce, your number one investment in the manufacturing side is going to be in robotics. And really, it's, it's simple things like sorting. Right, packages, But think about this. If I want to compete with the Amazon of the world, and Amazon is a logistics company. Let's not kid ourselves here. It's an interesting internet company, but it's a logistics company. If I want to compete with the Amazons of the world, I need to have efficient industry factories with robots sorting. And then the really big one, the the, the one that's really going to change everything for us, is artificial intelligence. The idea that people, humans, can work in parallel with sentient, uh, autonomous um intelligence systems is going to change a lot of things and it's not a replacement of us by ai but it's an enhancement of ai ai can do a lot of incredible things and the final one is obviously integration so from an investment standpoint these are the picks and mortar picks and shovels companies building this industry and so when you're at this level this early stage of this business which i you know we estimate will probably be in between one to two trillion dollars within the next decade you want to be in in the companies that are providing these pieces. So you mentioned NVIDIA, world's number one semiconductor company, GPU processor, which is integral to all artificial intelligence, chaos for sensors, companies like intuitive surgical, which are putting this all together to create, you know, absolutely top flight, um, surgical systems that can be used for microsurgeries. Oh,
2: yeah. I want to interject right there because that Israig stock I've been watching for some time. It's an expensive stock, um, but they keep delivering. Uh, I spoke with our analyst about it. He thinks the stock's a bit ahead of itself. Yeah. But uh, put that aside, um, it's, it has what's called the Da Vinci system. Right. And, and you made a very interesting point about doctors, about knowledge, about experience, right. and about... Um, fine motor skills. Please share that with you. Yeah, audience. and perfect segue, Wolfgang. You know, when we're talking about AI, we're talking about
4: empowerment. And, and there's some things AI is never going to be able to replace. And the big one is knowledge, right? Engendered knowledge. Surgeons are at their best knowledge level probably towards the end of their career, mid-60s, right? Most surgeons don't really start getting going until their 40s. Um, but there's the physical aspect, that
2: the hands and, and, and motor skills now, I've are heard fun. it's hard work being in surgery. It's, it's, You're working the clock. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so and, and you can't take a right. break for, for the most part. Uh, and when, when, when you open it up, you got to finish the job and close it.
4: And very quickly, I mean, the most one of the most difficult surgeries is prostate cancer removal, right? It's a, it's a microsurgery. There's a lot of ethics around whether you do it or not. This da Vinci system can basically do this bloodlessly. I can have a uh, prostate or urologist surgeon who can take this system and basically probably extend their career 10 years, as well as do a surgery which is so fine-tuned uh, versus what a human can do. To the case now that 90% of complex uh, prostate cancer removal surgeries are being done by this system. It's incredibly expensive, but when we look at the need for healthcare, empowerment. These kind of systems can really change the way that we interact with the healthcare system and and the the medical
2: community. Yeah, keep it going. Give us some other ideas in the interest of time. We've got about a minute for you there.
4: Yeah, I mean, the other one that I really like to look at is something like a a company called Daifuku, which is in the index of of, uh, our ETF, right? Again, boring. What does this company do? It's conveyor belt systems, right? (laughs) Right, that sounds super boring. Like, what do you do for a living? I I make rollers. Well, but really, let's think (laughs) about it again, right? If I'm going to automate my my industry or my manufacturing capabilities for e-commerce i need to be able to move those boxes down the line i need sensors making sure that it's going to the right place and the right items are into it that's what this company does there's a probably a forecast that this could be a 50 billion dollar opportunity in the next 10 years because we need to get here and and here's the other thing to remember about technology is that technology is used two ways. One, there's the infrastructure we're talking about, and then there's the companies that manifestly use this technology to get ahead of their competitors. And, you know, that's a little bit harder to determine who's going to actually use the technology well. But we know when we look back at history is companies that make the leap towards using technologies, and sometimes in industries like financial services, for example, um, you know, they they get ahead. And so they're going to be buying these things. And that's why building in these infrastructure companies is so uh, interesting right now.
2: Uh, Mark, we can go on for another half. Half yeah, hour with your, you know, could, yeah. machine learning, artificial <laughs> intelligence, uh, Google's, you know, a startup Deep Mind. Right. That what was it? It played uh, forty nine classic Atari Atari games. Right. Uh, started at the bottom and then got better and better and better, better. better. Uh, just, just remarkable stuff. But uh, I can't thank you enough for joining us. I uh, do come back, would you? And, I would let's love continue to. The conversation. Yeah. Right. So we can uh, those who want to invest in the ETF, is it R B O T robot? Rbot, yes, R-B-O-T, robot, pretty
4: easy to remember.
2: Yeah, well, take a look at Horizon's website for more information on that ETF. If, it, if it's of interest to you, speak to a professional for further guidance. Uh, buyer beware uh, on all investments, I must say. Uh, Mark Noble, uh, Head of Sales Strategy at Horizon ETF. Uh, we learn about artificial intelligence, and, you know, the future isn't that scary. In fact, it's quite, it's quite exciting. It it's really here is. now. <laughs> it is here now. Yeah, coming up next, we're going to speak, well, with another doctor. I wonder if he uses the ISRIG system on um, Bobo. Uh, uh, and your little budgie bird doesn't work on horses, apparently. But Dr. Cliff Redford, I think he's going to be the next Anthony Bourdain, Bourdain meets the uh, crocodile guy from Australia. Um, I mean, he passed away a number of years ago. Uh, yeah, he's quite a character. What, what was his name? The guy from Australia. Oh, Who was it? Steve, Steve Irwin. F- That's thank right. There you go. Steve Irwin, yes. Uh, Dr. Cliff Redford, uh, really exciting guest coming up. Uh, do stay tuned on Hi Fi Radio.
1: Making money is the best. So, how do you make more money? Life would
2: be
3: summit.
1: Come on back after this. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from Global News Radio
2: 640 Toronto. God rest his soul, Anthony Bourdain. Parts unknown. Uh, I do think I have... uh, His runner-up, shall I say, for lack of a better phrase, in studio. Uh, And what makes him more attractive, he's a veterinarian, Dr. Cliff (laughs) Redford, veterinarian from the Wellington Veterinarian Hospital. He owns the hospital. So um, Cliff uh, heard me on the radio and reached out to me and said, look, I'm interested, Wolfney, in your services. And I said, oh, my God, you're a veterinarian. Forget about what I I can do for you. Let's find out what you can do for me. Uh, (laughs) I do this radio show, and uh, I've been looking at a stock called Idex Labs. Mm -hmm. Idex Labs um, is the global leader of animal health diagnostics. The company makes money. The stock is working like a charm. Um, And in speaking with one of our strategists, Martin Roberge, he said, well, the the pet industry, especially out west in California, is huge. Um, And, you know, I I parallel that to Donald Trump uh, and all his talk about about, uh, about uh, health care and, and clamping down on cost of drugs. Uh, your industry, at least in terms of price points, I can assume is unregulated. Uh, you as a vet can sort of charge as you
5: post. Uh, to a point. So we get a um, – there's a fee guide that is just a guide. We don't have to follow it. But there's a fee guide uh, produced by the Ontario Veteran Medical Association. Um, but our college, which kind of regulates everything we do basically um, – Essentially says we are allowed to charge a quote unquote reasonable price. A reasonable price. So technically, I follow the fee guide basically 100. percent. Yeah. Uh, technically, a guy down the street could double that. Could uh, if, yeah. if you wanted to. If you wanted to. As long as there didn't seem to be some sort of trick that you walk in the door and he charges you one price because he sees what you're driving and then someone else drives, you know, drives a fancier car. Is that, is that possible? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No. So uh, see, Jack I get
2: that, you know, Jack, Jack just got rid of a clunker. You can't I, I do that. that. No, you can
5: You can't sort of uh, scam them if they're in dire need. No, no scam. That that's good, that's good. And,
2: so and how about
0: insurance to- coverage too? Is there, people have insurance out on their pets that uh, that you maybe yeah. charge a premium for? I know when we go to the dental office, it seems like, you know, if they see you have insurance, they charge one rate, whereas maybe they're not allowed to do it, but uh, if you don't have insurance, maybe they charge you a different rate. Yeah,
5: you're definitely not allowed to do that. Now, yeah. that wouldn't be regulated by the college, but the, if the insurance company found right. out, they would basically say, we're not going to cover any of your patients. Is Absolutely. that right? So, yeah, so, but, no but, one's going to do s- that. Some
2: yeah. research for the show here, and I want to cover off a lot of things here with the doctor. Um, research for the show, just as we we're walking, in, I saw a beautiful standard poodle uh, lady mm. from the con- condo beside us uh, at Chorus Entertainment here walking her poodle, and I saw, I, I, the poodle was well shaven or well-shaved, shall I say, mm-hmm. sheared, uh, with little, little booties on his little feet, you know, little puffy booties. Yep. Um, and I had ask her, I said, how much do you spend uh, having your dog groomed? She said, $120. I said, how frequently? Every six weeks. Yeah. Okay, Jack and I are hair, collectively. <laughs> we do not spend that kind of money. Okay, we don't got a lot no. of hair, but it requires some grooming. <laughs> get, get a cut on base, he's a little more expensive. $120 to shear your
1: and, and you it's told a lot me, more work. You
2: know, when you reached out to me, I asked you if you take care of horses because my daughter last Christmas on Hi Fire Radio requested a pony for Christmas. It didn't, yep. didn't happen yet, but she continues to um, work me and wear me down. She's going <laughs> to win this one. I know that. But you said you know, horse owners are crazy.
5: Um. Yeah. I guess I, I was. I, I, was I, think private. I think I think cat <laughs> owners are crazy. I would
0: just say all pet owners are crazy. Not crazy, but you know what? They love their pets and they'll spend. I'm gonna say a fortune on them to take care of them. But, and it's actually a demographic trend. You talked about trends before with technology. Millennials, I think more than anyone else, and it's well documented, love their pets and will spend probably more money than they have on them. But oh, yeah. it, no,
2: it's a business. This is, and this is a business show, Doctor Cliff. Redford, veterinarian at Wellington Veterinarian Hospital. Uh, so this is a business show, and uh, you're in a business of taking care of pets. Uh, so what what do you believe the average spend is? I mean, the average ticket that you receive in your clinic uh, is how much?
5: Oh, uh, geez, I, I would say probably per year. Uh, each client probably spends a little over $1,000 a year uh, at my place. So that doesn't include food, grooming, boarding, uh, toys, Christmas. I mean, Christmas, people are spending a couple hundred dollars a year just Christmas alone. What, what
2: about that, that snake yesterday, by the way, that was caught between the walls of an apartment building? Anyone catch that? It was on CP24. Yeah,
5: I don't know how much they spend on that snake. The
2: fellow apparently, they, they believe what happened was uh, the previous renter left. And one of he had 50 or 60 snakes. One got out and got between Oops, the walls. Right. He moved out. And all of a sudden, it's on the news that this snake is trapped between the wall. And some stranger walked in just as the crew was there. They broke the wall open. He ran in, pulled out a python, put it around his neck, and walked out. Gone. Gone. Who Come is this mystery man?
0: <laughs> uh, so, so
5: the, the $1,000 that you're talking about yeah. there, is that just uh, checkups? Like Checkup normal? vaccines, emergencies, that sort of thing. Now, the first year of a puppy or a kitten's life is always going to be the most expensive, right. as, as is the last year. Kind of the same thing for people, right? Um, but on average, yeah. I mean, uh, to get vaccines and sort of annual stuff done is going to be a couple hundred dollars, depending on the situation. But it's the the coughs, the colds, the sore knees, the sore you know, knee. How
2: do you know that things are sore knee? I'm meow,
5: meow. Uh, oh no, knee yeah, sore. Tell me, it told me. It He's has tr- it has trouble reaching the Advil in the top uh, <laughs> the top shelf. I don't know. Hey, hey, no, hey, I hey, mean hey, they limp. They 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 have a gait abnormality. Okay, I have, you got to do eight years of school to figure that out. So don't take my job away, man.
2: No, well, you know it's funny because we spoke off uh, here, I think we were talking about that company called Isrig, and I was speaking with our last guest uh, about uh, intuitive surgical. Um, they have the Da Vinci system. The, it's, it's a robot, basically that performs the physical uh, invasive aspect of, of performing surgery, and, and the doctor sits at a terminal, uh, and that allows his motor skills to be maintained. And yet, he, the, the IQ and the knowledge base as, as surgeons. Mm-hmm. increases so you got the knowledge but you don't necessarily have the ability anymore because of arthritis and carpal tunnel syndrome so, so the so
5: robot does it automatically it does well
2: it, it does it so it, it will move as per the surgeon tell them to move the, the, the okay depth so it's, the, more like it's,
5: it's more like a joystick
2: it's more like a joystick yeah yes.
5: that's common there's a lot of surgeries where for people they're, they're utilizing essentially playstation controllers to control these things yeah
2: now look we're gonna we're gonna have some fun with you dr cliff redford and everyone likes pets and i like pets but um I gave you some Anthony Bourdain intro music, and we're gonna then give you a little bit of Steve Irwin after this. because uh, you are doing a television show that you've been working on for a long time. I saw some of your footage on uh, YouTube. Um, but you really do remind me of Anthony Bourdain meets Steve Irwin uh, with a lot of Canadiana flair to it. Plus, you play guitar and exactly you, you, what we're You, going you, for you almost have a full sleeve tat on your arm. So there's a lot to you, and I want to bring I want to share you with Hi-Fi Radio listeners right after this.
1: Stay with us. There's more shows still to come. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from Global. Lose radio 640 Toronto. Tonight we go into a very isolated and extremely remote
4: gorge in midwestern Queensland where we take a very unfortunate spill, nearly kill both of us. <sighs> Son of a gun. Now, this is a python,
2: carpet python. Oh, it's a python, it's gonna get angry. That's what Ooh. they do. Steve Irwin, I, I miss him as as much as I miss Anthony Bourdain. I can't, I was, preferred Bourdain, but they neck and neck. Great, great characters. Uh, Doctor Cliff Redford in studio. He's a vet uh, with the Wellington Vet Hospital, um, but he's more than a vet. He's a lot more than a vet. He plays guitar, which is dear to my heart. Uh, but you want to um, save animals' lives and incorporate travel. At the same time, and do your own television show, and you've been working on a pilot, uh, I guess, uh, or a demo uh, for the last seven or eight years, and you're getting close to uh, having someone pick it up.
5: Yeah, Just so talk I. About that. So you know, I've done a little bit of my own radio show eight years ago, uh, a little bit of local TV. Were you invited to that, Jack? I wasn't invited. That. <laughs> that was a long time ago. Um, and uh, so I've been kind of playing with this idea of getting a veterinary TV show uh, on TV. However. We we're kind of looking for a hook and I love travel uh, I'm kind of in the second half of my career now that I can start to travel and volunteer sort of in underserviced areas around the world and that's when I'm a huge fan of Anthony Bourdain uh, and that was sort of his show was actually kind of an inspiration for Dr. Cliff Worldwide Vets so we've been to Jamaica been to Greece done a lot of stuff in northern Canada um, actually did some stuff with the wildfires in Greece just a couple of weeks ago and we film it, and we do a web series. And now we're uh, we're pitching to uh, in the next month. We're going to be pitching to broadcasters to say, "Let's let's get us get us on air," including Chorus Entertainment. Is that let's right? See. Yeah, yeah. We're gonna we're gonna pitch to them as well.
2: Well, I'm gonna put in a good word for
0: you. Please, I, I
5: know, please I know, do. I
2: know people in high places.
5: We here, got an right? executive producer uh, spot maybe lined up for you. We'll see
0: how things have changed uh, with entertainment. You have to go out and produce. You have to go out and create yeah. content before you get picked up now, right? and we had multiple people on this this last year and they've said the same thing and that's exactly what you're doing basically going out creating your own show in advance of in advance of creating the followers mm-hmm. proving out the, grassroots yeah proving yeah. out the whole process and then pitching to the you know the big broadcasters
2: yeah so so let's talk about then some of the things you do on your travels what specifically what did you do in Greece and what did you do in Jamaica
5: yeah and uh, you know our show is is part veterinarian show, part adventure travel. So I like to get into the culture of where I'm going. I like to get away from the sort of picket fences of resorts and, and get deep down in, inside the, you know, the normal places of where I'm going. But I essentially work with SPCA's, animal rescues. And for example, uh, I was on vacation in Greece... But was planning to work with the Athens Cat Rescue. Uh, And we just went around Athens and dealt with some cat colonies and vaccinated them and treated them on the spot in the middle of the streets with the Parthenon behind us. It was pretty cool. Wow. But unfortunately, the wildfires were happening there just about uh, 40 kilometers away. And so four days after the fires had been put out, we basically went into the fire zones um, after they rescued all the people and dealt with all the problems there, and we started rescuing injured and strayed animals, we saw, you know, a lot of cats with uh, lung injuries, eye injuries, burnt feet, uh, homeless. Obviously, now uh, I dealt with some farm animals with the farmers actually there. Uh, a lot of burns, um, a lot of injuries from running how, away. How many animals on
2: that trip did you tend to?
5: Uh, I don't know. I don't have enough fingers and toes to count that high. Um, it was. It was. 100? Oh sure, at least. Oh wow. yeah, yeah. It was, uh, and I mean this this cat rescue that I worked with. Um, they've been doing this for probably a, a decade, and this was the first time though that they did a kind of a wildfire type uh, rescue. Um, but they're organized. They had a ton of volunteers, so uh, it was it was an amazingly inspiring, but sort of emotionally traumatizing trip.
0: So is that part of your show, or you said you were going on vacation? Uh, or did that's you get-
5: still... Well, so that is still kind of part of the pitch. Right. Um, but Greece has definitely become sort of one of the locations we're going to go back to for season one, without a doubt. Um, the, the work that they do in a country that's kind of hurting economic... Well, it's been hurting for decades economically... These, a lot of expats um, have given up their retirement to do these amazing uh... inspiring jobs so without a doubt Greece will be uh... will be a location will be an Le- episode. Let me ask you
2: from a career point of view, becoming a veterinarian is mm-hmm. difficult. It's yeah. ve- you're obviously a very smart man, I have a lot of respect for the medical profession in general because mm-hmm. I just realized academically uh... how astute you must be uh, to get through it all. So you went to school, you told me about seven or eight years?
5: Yeah so the average is uh... between seven and eight years. Yep. Um... I, I spent a lot of time in the library so I did it in six. Um, <laughs> So I got out of there. I, pretty, I'd say tattoo parlor. I, I, I don't buy the light. Yeah, that was afterwards. I, uh, oh, afterwards. Uh, that was okay. afterwards. Yeah. I, I, I I'm a different person than I am I uh, twenty I like years it. ago, that's for sure. But uh yeah, it's, it's 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 challenging. I mean, the joke is for me, and but this is the reality, my backup plan was medical school. If I didn't get into vet school, I knew I could get into medical school. Cause, yeah, because um, I asked you the question,
2: you wouldn't mind cutting me
5: open and, and you know? Oh yeah, I mean veterinarians have amazing um uh, uh, comparative anatomy understanding. And oh. I can do I can do a knee surgery on a dog. I can do a knee surgery on you. I can I can remove a tumor on a dog. I can remove a tumor on you. I can neuter a dog. I can definitely neuter you.
2: Yeah. Uh, uh. <laughs> well, I told you, I, I asked you if, you if in fact, I got a horse and it was a stallion, would you work on it? And you, you didn't know what, what I meant by that. <laughs> and, of course, a stallion isn't unneutered. Of course, a uh, right? Uh, anyways, I'm not getting a stallion. Uh, pony, <laughs> po- pony, perhaps. Uh, maybe a Shetland pony. Anyways, um, look, uh, Dr. Cliff Redford, uh, veterinarian from the Wellington Veterinarian Hospital. Look, okay, if you have a pet out there and it's, uh, well, knee sore, uh, maybe go see Dr. Cliff Redford. But I really hope to see you on television. I, um, I'm, I'm rooting for you. I'm cheering for you. Uh, the world needs uh, another Anthony Bourdain and a Steve Irwin, and I think you're the guy. I really, really do. Hope so. Uh, I wish you great success. Is, is business good, by the way? Uh, your, business, you, is a growth in your industry it is,
5: it is raining cats and dogs it's raining
2: cats that, that's sort of what we thought <laughs> uh, uh, a real pleasure uh, Hi-Fi Radio is a treat to bring to you each and every week Jack Hartle my wingman does a great job helping get the guests lined up and every now and then I get a treat from uh, a good guest like Dr. Cliff Redford to join us on the show an absolute pleasure it is indeed uh, I wish you all a great weekend and we will be back next week with more Hi-Fi Radio <laughs>